Okay. So welcome everybody to the second in our podcast of Setting the World Straight, a new podcast where we discuss all sorts of things. And at the moment, we're on a bit of a theme of some sort of leadership. I'm Andy, and at the, today we've got for you uh, Charlie with us. Say hello, Charlie. Hello. Thank you for having me. So last week we talked about um, the first of Richard Holmes's 10 diseases of leadership. We went through number one, lack of moral courage. Two, failure to recognize that opposition can be loyal. Three, consent and evade. And four, that there is a need to know and you don't need to know it. And five, don't bother me with the facts. I've already made up my mind. Quite interesting topics. Um, and again, if you remember from last week, we said the reason this is interesting is because it doesn't put leadership on too much of a pedestal. And it actually accepts that we're quite fallible human beings that are, can easily slip into some of these 10 diseases. Today, we're going to come on to the final five of the 10 diseases. And those are going to be, and we'll go roughly in order, um, six, the quest for the 100% solution. Seven, equating the quality of the advice to the rank or position of the person holding it. Eight, I'm too busy to win. Nine, I can do your job too. And finally, 10, big man, cold shadow. Charlie, what's your thoughts? Have you seen many of these before in people you know? Yeah, um, I'd definitely say that you've, you've come across these. I mean, I think we're quite fortunate because in our current working environment, we actually have, on the whole, I think, good leadership. And happily, most of these are um, avoided. Um, however, starting with that first one, the, the, the quest for the 100% solution, um, you definitely see this actually at the junior level, I think, both as junior officers, but also uh, junior soldiers, this um, this desire to have like the gold plate perfect exercise, this, you know, perfect, um, you know, meticulously thought out, very creative serial. Um, and the truth is that often the, the sort of planning for that can get very out of hand um, very quickly. And I think really that's you then lose track of what you're actually doing the exercise for. And, you know, it's a difficult one because you want to encourage, um, you know, from, from our perspective, you want to encourage the junior soldiers. And obviously our seniors want to encourage us to be enthusiastic and, um, you know, wholehearted with our engagement with, with planning. But you have to recognize sometimes that, uh, you know, finding that 80% solution, maybe having a slightly more simple uh, concept is the best way forwards and by by focusing in on that sort of perfectly delivered um serial you you can come a cropper quite quickly I, have you found that at all with uh yeah it's a, it's a really interesting one isn't it because i think there's definitely that pressure as you say to deliver that slick product that whether we call it the 100 percent solution that really like people go cool this guy's put some really good thought into it and it's, a, it's an easy product to brief. You know, you're briefing a new plan to people. If it's 100%, you've thought of everything. You're bouncing all the questions that are fired at you. You're firing them back. It can feel really sort of satisfying. But then the converse of that, when you're a little bit uh, pulling things pulling things out of your ass, you're a little bit kind of making it up on the fly. It's not as comfortable. And especially when you're in front of a group that you're perhaps um, still trying to win the respect of, maybe not used to working with, um, you do want to impress and, and the 100% solution can be kind of almost a bit of a trap for that to, to demonstrate competence. Yeah, definitely. I think there's this idea that there is a safety net. 
uh, when you have every single little part of the plan thought out. But of course, there'll always be things that will that will catch you out. Um, and so, from a leadership perspective, I think having that ability to react um, both in the planning stage, but also obviously once you're once you're delivering said 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 product, said exercise, um, that ability to, to to adapt on the on the ground is is very important. Um, I believe that Field Marshal Montgomery was very meticulous with his planning you know, to a T, um, and, and therefore perhaps was a victim of this uh, obsession with the hundred percent solution. That's a really yeah. Montgomery's an awesome example. Um, I've actually read a few things on him recently, and he's quite a contentious character. Um, contentious because um, I think he he had definitely that reputation, that reputation for being a very details man, not the kind of bold, heroic leader. That maybe we'd see with uh, of his peer group, you know, Rommels, the Patterns, um, and many of them, I think, look down on him for that. But actually, interesting if you look at the way Montgomery conducted battle, uh, conducted his, his himself and his teams, he, he had a really unusual approach where he would essentially view his key role in the the division, the army, was to um, to set the environment. But then just to ensure that the environment that he had set was being established, so he spent a vast... Essentially, Montgomery's day would look like he would... Um, he'd he'd uh, set out, go sit, visit the, the units under his command all day and just check that they were doing what he had required of them. So there's maybe a bit of distrust there. It's quite interesting. He'd come back at the end of the day and his chief of staff, meanwhile, had been running all the plans, had been doing the meticulous planning and would put to him, here's the big decisions of the day. He'd make the big decisions, go to sleep, and rinse and repeat so actually for someone it's, it's interesting that he got that reputation for being quite meticulous um whereas he himself perhaps wasn't but that the, the organization he created around himself perhaps maybe 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 also yeah that's that sort of details focused approach um you know i recently read uh surrounded by idiots and of course oh, classic, you, know, you, yeah. you, you talk about the different colors that, that individuals are uh and actually I found it really helpful uh, in in my work now, approaching relationships with my colleagues, with superiors, with juniors, um, thinking about what color I think they are predominantly, and then trying to adjust the way that I communicate with them in order to have the have the the, the most success, have the the, the most reciprocal um, relationship. Uh, and I certainly think this lends itself to a, to a blue character type, which is very mm. details focused. Um, not necessarily the most creative uh, individuals, perhaps shy away from those kind of grand, pompous uh, leadership positions. But yeah, just find their find their niche, find their sort of safe space in that in that you know in, in meticulous attention to detail. You know, you see it a lot with the sort of the risk side of the of the planning that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I, I struggle with that. Um, I think it definitely has its place. It's very important. Um, and so I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, it, it has its place and, you know, that 100% solution can sometimes, you know, be an excuse for pursuing that to the nth degree. Yeah. It's, uh, go on, Charlie. What, what person, personality color are you? Oh, I, funny enough, my, my fiance and I disagree on this. I, I feel that I'm more of a green personality type. My fiance would say that I'm more of a red personality type. I don't see myself as particularly um, um, bombastic, you know, uh, quite loud leader, sort of mm. maturistic leader almost, uh, which is sort of a, a sort of extreme red. 
whereas a, a sort of extreme green is is very friendly, very sort of amicable, kind of wants to please, but will often sort of shy away from from being seen to be um, uh, from being seen to be this loud um, leader. So it's an interesting one, and you are never, of course, one hundred percent of one. And, it, and what's interesting as well is that when you complete those tests, which I think we've both done, um, I was a raging red yeah. mine, by the way. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's self-reported, isn't it? It's it's your self-image. So yeah, you in your head, you'll probably report yourself as a green, and therefore get a green score. But actually, maybe someone who knows you very intimately, such as your fiance, um, but uh, doesn't isn't kind of uh, in your own head about it uh, would give an interesting different perspective. But no, I agree. I think the the main use of those color um, profiles and things like that is you, you can look at people's personality types. You, it forces you to consider things in a different way and see that everyone doesn't see it through your own eyes. And also it, it's a, it's a tool to not be so emotionally charged in your language. You can say, well, that's some blue behavior rather than, you're being an arsehole and a stickler for detail. <laughs> um, but it is really interesting. I've got, just before we move on to the next one, a really interesting a thought, and I don't know what you think, Charlie. Um, sticklers for detail. That sounds like quite a militaristic, authoritarian uh, trait that maybe people would expect from the army. And indeed, you look at our basic training, and it is all about attention to detail. There's actually not a lot of room for flair and, and creativity and, and perhaps even arguably character. But there's a there's a big hit on on getting the small details right. And I wonder if that breeds into the organization a baseline for this. Yeah, I think it probably does. Um, you know, what are the instructors, the DS, trying to instill in us at basic training? Uh, I think fundamentally it's about discipline. Discipline and also that ability to work as the team to kind of um, reduce the sort of individualism that perhaps is quite prevalent in today's society uh, and, and embrace those kind of, you know, teamwork, uh, selfless commitment and all those values and, and standards that we, that we know so well from our basic training. So it's funny, yeah, that attention to the minutiae, the, the small details from an individual perspective whilst you're building them up to be this... Uh, this malleable, uh, sort of moldable uh, young soldier or young officer that comes out of, of training. Um, and only at that point, I mean, perhaps that's why, perhaps that's why when we, when we are finally released into the field army, we're so keen to to show that flair and to to create these, you know, extravagant, uh, all singing or dancing plans because we've had so many months and even years of, of um, indoctrination, for want of a better word, but certainly yeah. that, that molding. Here's an interesting. I mean, you mentioned there about it being a, a tool to reduce individualism, and there's certainly a perception in a lot of kind of um, uh, popular, maybe psychological analysis and stuff of, of, of society that that's a, a, a more increasing trait with modern generations is is, the, is individualism, whereas in the past there's perhaps maybe more of a kind of collectivist view. But a lot of these this authoritarian military kind of behaviors, the way we do basic training, well, that's been about for hundreds of years, hasn't it? Um, and I think arguably back in the day, the the role of the soldier was maybe simpler and more to to do as told. Um, and we, so so it it, it does beg an a, an interesting question: Does the actual system need to evolve because we expect more of the modern soldier, or actually is it now combating, a, as you say, a new trend towards selfishness um, and actually reinforcing some of the collectivism that's re required for for military troops? Yeah, quite possibly. I actually think. Uh... 
to tee us off into the next one. I think it leads on quite nicely because, well, I'll, I'll let you introduce it, but I feel like this one... No, no, go ahead. Well, I mean, so equating quality advice with the rank of the person providing it, I mean, that absolutely, um, you know, you know brings ideas of an old-fashioned army in which, you know, the colonel of the regiment was the absolute, uh, you know, authority on all things, and his word was gospel. Um, and I, I feel this links on very nicely from that last point you just made there, which, you know, about what the army looked like 100 years ago uh, compared to today. What, yeah. what are your initial thoughts on Yeah, uh, and God, that, that rank thing is really... I mean, I, I caught myself literally yesterday walking around um, a place I don't normally work, seeing lots of new people in the military. And the, I, I realised the first thing I looked at, I didn't look at their face, like I would in civilian street. I looked immediately at their chest where they, they held, held their rank. To establish who who is this person? What kind of initial judgments can I make? And it's a weird. It's it's a. Um, I know Charlie, you quite enjoy a good sort of um, psychological uh, tool and things like that. It's a quick. Um, what's, what's the word I want? It's a quick. Uh, it's a it's, it's a shortcut, isn't it? A mental shortcut to yeah. make an assessment about someone. Ah, oh, this man or this woman is of this rank from this part of the military. Ah, oh, they're probably like that. Um, which wow, what a. Yeah, what a massive just, leap to make. Just jumping out those stereotypes, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I would say when it comes to this particular uh, point, you know, it is absolutely about the the advice being given. You know, clearly, if it is advice about leadership, uh, you know, we're going to look to our senior leaders as, as authorities on that. Um, albeit perhaps this podcast is a space where we as junior leaders can, can offer um, uh, at least our experiences, if not our, our sort of uh, knowledge. But also, you know, linking on from that point about training, you know, uh, perhaps the vulnerability of the of the audience impacts on the extent to which, you know, that rank plays a role. I remember back at uh, our, our training at Sandhurst, you know, you have lectures from brigadiers or from you know, uh, major generals, and he, you find the entire room just sort of nodding along, that sort of hum of, of you know, agreement and, you know, laughing loudly at their jokes. And it's very, very clear, very obvious, which I think would dissipate a bit once you get to the field army. But so perhaps in that kind of vulnerable training environment, you you cannot help but be a bit more susceptible to that to that rank slide. Yeah, definitely. And, and it comes on some of the, the later ones we talk about. You know, big man, cold shadow. That's almost part of a game um, early on, I think, to, to get you to, to perhaps have that initial respect for uh, the rank and the, the position as a default. But uh, I do remember distinctly as, as, as a slightly younger kind of leader and being perhaps a bit more intimidated by by the rank and experience of people and, and stopping myself and kind of... Um, not putting my thoughts forward on something um, and being quite kind of um, coy with what I would say, uh, which which perhaps isn't helpful for a, a thinking organisation when we're trying to be quite innovative. And I think the army's caught in a really interesting trap here, aren't they? Because the army's formed around what it does at warfare and a huge part of warfare has got to be tempo and uh, making decisions quickly, which ultimately relies on the ability for someone just to say, do this and people do it. Um, with the, the view that, that that collectively is is good for, for military success. But perhaps in peacetime or in the planning for warfare, we still have that as a hang on and we're not we're not able to let go of that authority. But um no what I would say on uh that point there you made about uh being coy, you know, 
there is clearly a time and a place for being coy. And if we always speak our mind, and I can think of individuals who we work with who probably do always speak their mind, they can clearly rub people up the wrong way. Charlie's looking right at me. Uh, right yeah, <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking. Yet, I promise. But um, you know, and so clearly there is that necessity sometimes to be uh, more diplomatic uh, or more kind of deferential to rank if it's if it's appropriate in the moment. I think the important thing there is obviously to have a bit of um, integrity about knowing when the moment is and picking your battles, isn't it? I suppose is, is the classic uh, example. Picking a great way of, uh, there's a, I've, um, I think there's a quote by Field Marshal Slim and he's, he was asked, oh, what's the key to success in a military career? And he's described it as being um, sufficiently insubordinate. So I think like that, he's saying, you know, the, the, it, the really good, good people know when to, uh, buck the system yeah. but know when to toe the line as well um, yeah i think yeah. absolutely right uh, here, here's another quote for you um leadership is action not position so you know thinking about the authority of a rank slide well you take uh, an eod and you know explosive ordnance search team it's going to be your point man with the valon that actually is is going to be the, the 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 leader in that particular moment you know on uh, at the front of their you know, search for any, any you know, IDs in the area or, you know, the intelligence call. Uh, often you'll have a, a private in the intelligence call who's briefing a one-star, you know. Uh, so I think actually there are plenty of examples of when there is a so-called junior, you know, individual with an awful lot of responsibility and with that, you know, leadership. So I think... For me, the key takeaway from this particular point is, um, you know, are we in a training environment or are we in the field army in, a, in an environment where, you know, people are less susceptible to, I guess, groupthink? Mm. Um, and I think that's how you, you, you kind of um, cope against, you know, uh, act against slipping into this uh, deference to rank. Yeah. And I, I, and what's it, I think the final point to look at it all, for all of these is um, why is Richard Holmes listing these as diseases? Why does he think this is negative? You know, what, why should we not just defer to rank and experience? And I think he's you know he's he's hitting on the point of there's only so much an individual can know. There's only so many experiences that an individual can have, um, and that really the best types are going to are going to be a funnel for that information. Are going to be able to then analyze the right information and turn it into something simple and usable. Um, but if you don't have the, your your initial funnel wide enough, you're just simply not going to get um, the creative kind of viewpoints that are going to allow you to win. Um, right, we're going to go on to the next one, which is um, I'm too busy to win. Oh, and this is one of my favorites on this list. I've seen this so many times. And almost hang people hang this on as a point of pride how busy they are um yeah what's your thoughts charlie i mean quite simply you're never too busy you you are never too busy and yet we all fall victim of this i think at any one time you know i, I certainly i'll hold my hand up and say that uh you know i have found myself stuck in in, in the office doing administrative uh you know jobs uh on, on email and and you know the truth is for me the the soldiers will see through that eventually you know mm. they they will realize that you know does this does this person ever you know get out of the office and sort of mix up their routine and 
I mean, I'm sure that from a from an efficiency perspective, you know, you are better off every couple of hours, you know, getting out of the office, even if it is just to go to the bathroom or to, you know, make a cup of tea. Um, but yeah, this idea that you're, you're, you know, you're too busy to give the attention to, you know, those soldiers that you might be leading or to give the attention to some other part of your day-to-day uh, routine, I think is, um, well, it's crazy, but it's it's also crazy how, how easy it is to, to fall into this one. I think. Yeah, and it's really because because you've almost uh, expanded that into a or refined that into a too busy to lead, yeah. and um, which is definitely I think you know in the modern information age, where the young leader um, is increasingly bombarded with more information, um, his, his access her access to information is, is vastly higher than his predecessors would be. Um, it's very easy to get get fixed by that and forget the human element, which definitely leadership is. Um, See, but I, would, it, I would say at that on. point, it's it's the classic green personality type in me. I'm personally, I'm much more people focused, yeah. so I'm very happy to have those conversations and and sort of push the kind of detail focused administration to one yeah, side. Yeah. But yeah, which is then you know, God, um, is a really interesting one. I, it's probably someone I work quite closely with. Would he himself say he allows himself to almost become uh, fi- fixed by these by by conversations and that kind of social? I mean, he's much more probably social person than I am. And that actually impacts on it on his workload, and, and it's definitely a balance, isn't it? Because you can be that all people person, but you still got a some some hard output to deliver. Sometimes behind the computer, which needs to get done. There's a great quote uh, from an Indian civil uh, sorry, from a civil servant um, back in the days when India was a part of the, the British Empire. So it's from a, so a civil servant out there, and he, he says, um, "Work expands." Um, I beg your pardon. Time expands. Work expands to fill the time. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Out there a little I, bit. I blew that one completely. Yeah, but you, you've, you've saved me there. Um, and you know, work expands to fill the time available for its completion. That is the quote, and I think it is so true. I mean, we, we have all done that sort of procrastination, sat on, you know essays need to be written or, or whatever you know piece of work it is um and before you know where you, you know where you are something that could have been nipped in a couple of days it's taking mm. a couple of weeks and I, it, yeah it is difficult to be that ruthlessly efficient all the time i think yeah and i think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there with that term procrastination there's almost and this is what if i was to summarize what would my interpretation of too busy to win what happens to cause this procrastination through work People will procrastinate, or my interpretation of it, people will procrastinate um, through doing perhaps usually mentally more comfortable, easier tasks, um, but that are usually not in line with the kind of the, the big impacting task. You know, as you say, you use that example when you're at university where you might spend some time playing about organizing your finances or something when really you should be doing your dissertation because it's hard yeah. you know, yeah, to yeah, do yeah. that deep thinking, that hard kind of graft. And you can feel you can get the kind of satisfaction of task completion from some quite small things, and, and I, I, that's my feeling of it, what the kind of psychological base of some of it is. Yeah, it's it's a safety net, isn't it? And we, we've already talked about the safety net of having, you know, every single aspect of your plan, um, you know, th- thought after um, at the expense of perhaps hitting a deadline for said plan. Um, but yeah, it's 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 also you know. If you're thinking about uh, the different leadership styles, you know, from a coaching perspective, 
by um, by not getting your work efficiently done, you are neglecting time that could be spent developing and improving mm-hmm. those under you, those around you. So you know you're not just doing yourself a disservice; you're actually doing those who who need you or who you know who are under your chain of command. You're doing them a disservice too by not giving them the time, giving them the attention to develop them, um, which I think is is a more important point. Yeah, uh, it, there's definitely a huge amount of um, yeah. The more space you can create for yourself, the more you can use for that that, that developing of your team, which is always effectively the the nice to have because it doesn't need to happen. But I, and I've got a slightly different interpretation of actually this um, this point. Um, sort of too busy to win. Um, linked to all the things that we've been saying, but you see, I I I feel like a huge part uh, role for the leaders the more senior you get um more it becomes more and more so is to set the vision set the vision articulate it map it out how we're going to get there and if i was to be critical of some of the slightly more senior leaders i've seen um in, in my limited career i would say that's what uh, many of them have been guilty of uh, and much of them it, it's it's not through negligence it's not through laziness and actually their roles themselves come with a huge wrath of associated responsibilities that could absolutely burn their time. Those responsibilities could, could have them working, you know, 48 hours a day. Um, and and they become fixing those tasks. And they and through some mechanism of time management or perhaps um, selecting what the important thing is, they don't spend that time to sit there, blue sky think, do that big kind of um, use their experience and use the team around them to really get to the nub of problems. And I feel like in, in, in the military world, that's the big problem is really getting what is the nub of the problem and how can we solve this? And the more senior leaders get, the more policy and documents get put in front of them and they just don't have time to, to look at it. And for me, that's where they're too busy. You know, they're too busy with the, the routine management side of the job to do the perhaps leadership vision side of it. That, that, and the, that for me is winning. Yeah, and no, I think that's it's really well my point there. And, you know, uh, I remember someone saying recently um, they'd had a conversation with their with their superior officer um, who'd said that one of the, the most rewarding aspects of being, uh, in this case, an officer commanding, so, you know, you're in command of a, of a company or squadron of 120 to 150 individuals, one of the most rewarding things about that position of leadership was articulating a vision and then seeing it being delivered by, you know, your subordinate leaders and teams. Um, so, so yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head there with that idea to... It's, it's that magic as well, isn't it, of like seeing it happen without you giving the explicit direct... You know, you, you set the vision and it just seems that, you know, you're not even pushing the boat forward anymore. The people are just running with the vision. And, and if it is well articulated, it just happens. It's, it's sort of like magic. Um, but, you know, I, I suppose on the opposite side of the spectrum there you know you mentioned individuals that perhaps get fixed literally to their desks doing that policy side doing that let's say you know risk related or health related you know documentation is very important or perhaps you know you can't blame them for being fixed given that we're not necessarily taught how to manage our time you know it's Mm. almost expected that we sort of pick that up by intuition uh through our experience Whereas actually, potentially, it, it's something that could be coached. You know? Yeah, definitely. I, I, there's an interesting one that you mentioned there about some of the, how important those things are, especially those personal rates. And I feel like there's a bit of sometimes leader guilt associated with some of this happening, especially if it's related to people. 
know, if you have, as we say, this pretty routine admin, not re- administration, not really taking big brain power thinking, but if it's related to people, um, I think as kind of leaders, people find it quite difficult to disregard because they feel they're letting people down. Um, and maybe it's hard to see past the near let someone down versus the, you know, set the vision and, and, um, and sorting pe- a large group of people out for the future. But um, yeah. No, really interesting. And, and, you know, fundamentally, you can't get to visionary leadership without having affiliative leadership through communication. So that ability to step away from your desk, to step away from the policy and to have those conversations, to build relationships. You know, I imagine from my small experience that those are the, those are the foundations from which you then have that ability yeah. to project a vision. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. Because if, if you're not understanding that team you're with, you, you know, you're just going to go awry with how you project it, aren't you? And um, we'll, we'll go on to the next one now, um, which is the penultimate. I can do your job too, or maybe a better way of saying it is that I can do your job better than you. Now, this is an interesting one for perspective because Charlie's slightly um, younger than I am. So the people in Charlie's team at the moment, he's not done their jobs before. He's come from a sort of different stream. Um, Whereas for me, I've, I've although perhaps not working directly under me, I've got people um, working um, sort of who I kind of work, work slightly towards me who I have done their job before. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. what Have you got any interesting thoughts on that, Charlie? So uh, from a personal perspective, I was uh, fortunate with my, my first boss that he didn't find it difficult to trust me. Um, and so I didn't have, you know, that kind of um, person on my shoulder, you know, perhaps if not questioning and certainly suggesting how one might do this particular bit of training, um, you know, or how one might um, go about conducting myself. So, you know, from that perspective, I, I received the space I needed to, to I suppose, develop as a leader. Um how do you feel, Charlie, about the balance between space to develop, as, as you've really well articulated there, versus perhaps too, too little, no, no direction, no kind of, no kind of pull? Yeah, I mean, and, and the sort of the elephant in the room uh, in terms of the buzzwords, I suppose, is, is empowerment. And, you know, that, that, that's perhaps what this well, comes down to. That's very corporate, Charlie. You know, it, corporate. <laughs> on, on one side of the spectrum, you've got empowerment, you know, and this... this um, delegating of leadership responsibility and having that trust and shared purpose in order to achieve those and but as your question alluded to what's the other side of the spectrum well it's chaos really it's it's sort Mm. of you know that sounds quite melodramatic but it's a working environment in which there is no structure in which there is no vision directed from from your you know your hires and you're floundering because there's perhaps a lack of guidance combined with a lack of purpose which means that you you know at best you're treading water and if not you're probably sinking yeah i love that 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 lack of guidance is definitely you know um having someone who you can go to and also someone who perhaps corrects you when you're a little bit a little bit off is, is so useful for your development but you know you, you, similar to what we we're talking about earlier setting that vision everyone ever knowing what they're pushing towards um can open up that freedom because if everyone knows what the what the end state where we're trying to aim for um it's it, it, it it's so much easier to kind of work collectively so i'll test your uh, your war studies again oh go on uh, Andy. Uh, it, it would appear that uh general Patton 
struggled with uh, mission commands. Now I'm I'm no you know war studies scholar myself, but from what I have you know briefly read in in our in our sort of collective doctrine, um, General Patton would skip out core commanders and go straight to divisional commanders as a one step lower, uh, and this would imply that he struggled with that mission command. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, because if you ask Patton about this, Patton would say, well, I don't give a crap about what that uh, core commander feels or anything, or his development. What I care about is, are we winning the bloody war? Um, Is he right? Is he wrong? You know, it's it's a great debate. Um, You could argue that perhaps in the longer term, if he felt that the role of core commanders was was unrequired, then he would would have maybe got rid of it. um, um, But yeah, really interesting one. I think... It's very easy to sort of see problems as simplistic um, the more senior you get because you, you start to lose some of the um, the key elements of detail. And I've definitely caught myself doing that. I'm like, bloody hell, why haven't people sorted out this problem? It's so obvious. And these people aren't idiots. You know, they're not. Um, and in most, in most, it's, it's pretty rare that someone's doing deliberately being lazy and perhaps not considering the facts. And I'll dig into it and I'll be like, oh, God, yeah, it makes sense now. And almost is a bit of an egg on, fa- egg on face moment. Um, and, and and that links into this 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 original question, you know. I can do your job too. Oh, I, I'll 100% catch myself seeing uh, you know slightly more junior guys who've done a role that I've done before and be like, oh, I wouldn't have done it like that. You know, I would have I, I would have nailed. And and it's easy to sort of think of yourself in in um an almost kind of like quite perfect self image. But I think first of all, yeah, it's a it's a it's a perfect self image. Second of all, those people are learning and and. And and they and you're imagining yourself at the end of that role when you've done all your learning. And, and thirdly, you often, as as we just alluded to there, you're just not cognizant of some of the smaller detail that that, that they are. Yeah, definitely. And I, I must admit, I'm quite looking forward to going into your job or, or a similar job to yourself in the future, Andy. Where it's not that you have you know junior leaders directly subordinate to you, but you have that. Uh, ability to mentor, ability to guide. And I think finding that balance is really difficult. And, you know, from my own perspective, you know, I've had colleagues who have who've done really, uh, you know, they've really helped me to develop. Uh, and sometimes there's been friction. Sometimes we've had to, you know, we've, we've come to a, a bit of a, a logger jam, but actually we've we worked through it. Um, I suppose currently, um, you know, if, if, if one can make the... Uh, draw the line from general pattern and his uh, divisional commanders to uh, you know uh, myself as a as a platoon commander and my and my corporals and soldiers you know the, the the example there would be you know i can do your job as a junior you know private or you know um because i've been through some basic training um and of course what you'd be doing there is you'd be cutting out the corporals and you'd be you'd be failing to empower your corporals by potentially you know, doing their job for them. So I suppose that's the the sort of comparison you can make with where I find myself today. Yeah. And, and, and you know what's a really interesting, actually, what, what Holmes, who this is all about, says on this, and, 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 I, and I will quote him, because um, I think he's got quite an interesting perspective. Um, he said, avoid the temptation to slip back into your old comfort zones. It will smother subordinates. And I think it, it's interesting there. First of all, you know, to avoid the temptation to slip back into your old comfort zone. Yeah, as we said before, you're remembering yourself at the end of the job. You've got comfortable with it. You've nailed it. Okay, but that's not what the organization needs from you anymore. They don't need you to do that job. They need you to do higher, more difficult, more challenging jobs. So focus your time on that. Um, 
And second of all, that point about it, it will smother subordinates, which I think goes into the kind of the psychology of it. And um, there's nothing worse, is there? The feeling that you're not being given the agency to really make your own decisions and apply your brain to something. And you're just being treated like a, like a drone. And I think that's at a, absolutely every level. The more we can make people feel like they get a bit of a, a say in things, um, the more certainly energy and enthusiasm will get out of them. Yeah, I think especially today, you know, when, when you broaden your horizons beyond the armed forces, you know, civilian companies have caught on to the fact that young graduates or people going into the job market wants to have leadership experience, management experience. And so, you know, they're very quick to sell, you know, the opportunities to develop yourself as a leader. Uh, and, and, you know, certainly the army would be shooting itself in the foot if they were failing to practice what they preach, given that I think in wider society, the job markets, you know, are increasingly looking to attract people who want to have that leadership and, and wants to, you know, to develop themselves as leaders. It's a, it's a this is a really interesting topic, and I think we need to take this one into a, a separate into another podcast because um, I've, I've read a few things recently about the differences between uh, sort of recent you know, they call it Generation Z, don't they, and millennials who I think we we probably just slide into um, and about that um, and I said yeah, I won't go into it in this, but it's a, it's, a, it's a topic for another um, conversation on whether whether this does change generationally um, and interesting to, to see to what affect the jobs market and the military responds to these kind of generational changes but let's save that for another one and we'll go on to the last um topic which is it was a good one as well and we've kind of hinted it on already big man cold shadow and and i'll I'll read what home says home says consider the effect of your presence and involvement in a task will it help or will it hinder Hmm. i wonder what pattern would have to say versus maybe Montgomery. I mean, uh, I suppose it's a question of self-confidence and self-confidence in your own ability. You know, the point at which you are going to put your foot in it, um, you know, literally muscle into a physical task or, you know, metaphorically muscle into, uh, you know, a planning process. Um, You know, you need to back yourself. And if you have that self-confidence built on, you know, um, a detailed um studying of whatever particular you know, discipline is then then perhaps you will gain credibility but it would be terribly easy to to lose credibility if you you know you came came wading in with your ideas or with your uh, your um good intentions but actually fell foul of that yeah that's really interesting is it it's certainly a, a kind of human trait to um it's much easier to lose credibility than um gain credibility so going about that a a big man cold shadow i mean even by saying big man it kind of dates uh the this particular disease and i think it again links to the generation um Mm. you know the generation of today is there such a tolerance for big men you know in brackets sort of big scary men who shout a lot and um asserts their authority um you know over a a a group of of individuals even Um, like physically big is really interesting you know you you see it in the military occasionally you get someone who's just a big bastard you know (laughs) he's just he's six foot seven he's 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 absolutely thick set and there's they definitely carry like a bit especially in the probably the quite sort of um 
slightly more macho environment in the army. There's definitely a bit of like people give them more sway than they would someone smaller, which is which is crazy, isn't it? You know, to think, especially in ourselves being in the, in the part of the army that's supposed to do the thinking. Like, who cares how big you are? <laughs> yeah. But it's you know it shows how as humans we are still prey to those um kind of quite animalistic traits sometimes. Yeah, and and to what extent are those big men? Uh, conscious of their shadow because clearly <laughs> I think the implication there That's of really cold shadow is potentially they're not aware of it yeah. uh, whereas I feel like some of those you know uh, red personality types macho leaders um, I'm not very macho by the way yeah, I, know, no. I know I'm red but <laughs> I, I think you're doing a disservice there Andy I think, uh, I think it's a nice blend anyway um, you know uh, I would say a cold shadow implies a level of um, a lack of consciousness of your own, um, I suppose, uh, the, the trail that you leave behind by your actions. Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right there. And that's definitely, and as you were saying that, I was almost thinking there's, there's two subsects. There's a subsect of people who, exactly as you said there, you know, they're, they're not aware of actually the impact that they have on people, and that their bullshiness, you know, makes the, let's say in the simplistic view, makes the introverts hide away and the introverts might have some awesome stuff to contribute. But then there's the other slight side of it. I definitely know characters in the military who know they're a bit intimidating. And they might, you know, and we're not talking about even the physical side of it. They're a really intellectual guy, really sharp, really knowledgeable and really experienced. And they kind of use that as a weapon of dominance, you know, and and, and they're quite happy to sort of perhaps... Uh, it's maybe not even, I don't think for the cold shadow, because that would be a bit more of a hot shadow, the kind of humiliate subordinates kind of character. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the guy who just shows no kind of like emotion or anything like that. And I've definitely worked under some leaders who very, very able. You meet them, you're like, God, this guy's impressive. But I don't feel like I get a personal touch with him at all. I feel like to him, I'm just, uh, you know, not yeah. perhaps, perhaps I'm not a piece of dirt, but I'm I'm, I'm insignificant. Yeah. And, and that's that's pretty toxic leadership, really. Um, I know in your last uh, episode with Dave, you talked about uh, town halls and how town halls can, when they're done right, have a really positive um, um, response because people feel comfortable to ask, you know, questions of their leaders in an open forum, and the leader is put on the spot, but is comfortable, has a thick enough skin um, to take the question on the chin and hopefully give a, you know. A satisfactory answer and then of course sometimes the town halls become just a um you know preaching session for that particular senior yeah. leader um you know certainly at this um place of work where we are there's been a big focus on 360 leadership um sorry 360 feedback yeah um and it's the same idea isn't it you know if that is done right there is an opportunity for your subordinates to give you constructive anonymous feedback and hopefully, you know, that might reduce the um, the lingering cold shadow. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think the the sort of 360 factor is is the way forward. But I think as you, as you sort of alluded to there, done right, you know, it, it, it could easily, lo- you could lose control of it and you end up shooting yourself in the foot. And I think that's perhaps the big problem that people have. They know they should do it, but perhaps not how to execute it in, in quite a comfortable manner. The last part I'll sort of say on that on that, that big man cold shadow, I, I think it's a really fascinating um, subject, um, is the degree to which it... Bec- I wonder if those individuals who are... Let's put ourselves in their shoes. Now, perhaps we are those individuals. We don't, we're not aware. Um, but I wonder if they think that they are this character. 
whether whether they are self-aware enough of it or whether they see it in a different manner. Maybe they think, when I'm being a big man, cold shadow, actually I'm just being um, quite a hard-nosed leadership. This organization needs hard-nosed leadership. It doesn't need it. With the military, we're about fighting wars. We don't need any of this softy, softy stuff. Everybody else is a bit wrong and I'm, I'm more on the money. And I wonder what they're... If we asked one of those leaders, got them in today, obviously we'd have to... That'd be a bit awkward because we have to tell them that that's what we think of them. But if we got them in today and asked them, you know, what their interpretation of this is, um, I doubt many of them would, would would kind of put it in those same words. And do they care? I mean, let's yeah, face yeah, it. You know, if they are successful leaders, in the sense of, you know, let's say take a football analogy, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, a successful football manager, X number of trophies over a. 20 year career or whatever it was in Manchester United. He does is he bothered that his style of leadership was quite alpha male, quite sort of big man, cold shadow, shouty shouty, um, you know, football boots flying in the changing yeah. rooms. Um, you know, does that bother him? Now, you know, I admit that, you know, a lot of the training that we've received, Reese, you know, in the last sort of decade has been focused on leadership styles and trying to encourage a, a transformational leadership style. Um, but you know, let's go back to basics here. You know, why are we trained to be leaders, and why have we joined? You know, an armed forces. It's in order to fight the queen's wars and, and you know, take the fight to the queen's enemies. And uh, you know, surely the most important thing there, perhaps, is um, you know, success and results. Yeah, it's fascinating, and it, and it comes into that like, God, this if we were to say what is this whole leadership thing all about and if you ask me it, it, it's it's everything's a balance isn't it you know and that's the skill because if it was one way or the other you just know do this thing equals good leader but it's not and it's ne- it's having the the cognizance to realize when you go need to go one way and one the other and that's yeah. the difference between the, the good guys and the bad guys not, none of the bad guys want to be bad they just aren't quite as aware of when to lean on on the different approaches um and, and yeah when, when to be a pattern and when to be Perhaps Montgomery. The uh, dichotomy of leadership, isn't it? It's it's, and we've already touched on a few of the sort of um, paradoxes and and uh, you know finding your your balance between being overconfident and being shy, you know, being um, approachable and being overly friendly, yeah, um, you know, being confident, being arrogant. It, it's interesting, and I suppose everyone finds themselves on the spectrum um, between those two extremes. I'm on a different spectrum, but we yeah. won't mention that. <laughs> so, and you know, if if you were to sort of try and draw a thread through through all of these points, um, you know, it, it's about being in your comfort zone. And if anything, mm. all these so-called diseases are about avoiding slipping into your comfort zone. Whether it's yeah, you great. feel comfortable, you feel uh, you know comfortable being this big aggressive leader, or you feel comfortable um, telling someone else what their job should be because you've done it before, or or, or indeed you know, um, uh, I, I guess you know sitting on your laurels as, as a senior leader. Um, so I suppose is is the main takeaway from this particular episode that we must always challenge ourselves yeah. to take us outside oh. of our comfort zone. Charlie has brought this episode to an absolutely uh, immaculate end there. And, and I think, you know, why listen to this this podcast in the first sort of series when we're talking about leadership? Why the hell, you know, if, it, if it's innate in the slim, in, in Field Marshal Sims' words, it's just plain you. You've either got it or you've not. 
Um, why bother? Um, and I think it is exactly that, is that your comfort zone is often not the right place to be sitting. And just by considering it and thinking critically, are there other options? Are there other ways I could do this? You're likely to make yourself that slightly more nuanced leader, as we've alluded to, is the best type. And so I think that's, you know, leading into the rest of the podcast and kind of drawing this to a, to a wrap. Um, yeah, that's definitely what we want to go, go forward, discussing some of these topics, hopefully with an interesting, critical um, mindset uh, to give you, to, to force you to think yourself about um, how you maybe conduct yourself in a kind of leadership environment. And then second of all, I think, which we'll lead on to into later episode is perhaps some more climb, some practical tips, you know, because it's all good and well us being this, this is where you need to be at the end state of this, but you're like, bloody hell, well, what am I supposed to do tomorrow about it? What, what the hell do you want me to do this afternoon? Um, and there are measures, there's things you can do out there. I've certainly got a, got a few ideas myself and I'm sure Charlie, um, Charlie does. And that you can actually implement to make yourself a better leader tomorrow, today, this afternoon. Um, so I think with that, we'll, we'll draw it to a close. So thanks, Charlie, for joining us this week. First time on the podcast. How was it? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, well, I have to say, taking me out of my comfort zone, yeah. being on a, <laughs> uh, in a public public forum with the microphone uh, up and close. But I've really enjoyed myself. So thank you. Great. Thanks, everybody. Um, that, that's me and Charlie now going to call it to a close. Um, and thank you for tuning in for another episode of Setting the World Straight.